I made a motto for myself that I lived by for a long time, that nobody could hurt me more than I could hurt myself. And I lived by that. there. My name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do, we're not very good at it. And that includes me. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I'm certainly going to try. Now, we are talking about suicide. This may not be a good fit for everyone, so please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. You can also reach out on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. This is our 34th episode. And I am really proud of the work we're doing and so grateful to all of our listeners and our attempt survivors who have been so bold and brave to join me here on this podcast and share their story. So thank you. Really, thank you. Today, I am talking with Heather. Heather lives in Arkansas, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Heather. Hey, Sean. So I'm good ish how are you mm, i am goodish as well yeah. <laughs> i've been better it's been a little bit of a whirlwind recently yeah so heather in arkansas yes sir we first connected a little while ago i think you reached out to me you sent me an email yeah and i am wondering given that there are a lot of people who try to end their lives mm-hmm. how did you come to be okay with what happened, which we'll talk about, but more so talking about it, like publicly? Um, Well, I feel like I, I understand that feeling of desperate hopelessness and just wanting to hear different um, perspectives. And I know what it's like being on both sides of the story now, or both Mm. sides of the coin. Mm. And so I feel like it's vital for me to share my story because of being here and what it's done for me and giving someone else hope, you know, Mm. that same hope that I wanted so desperately when I was in those positions as well and didn't have a resource like this. So this is great. Mm. I appreciate you doing it. I really do. Well, I'm nervous, but I'm also excited to be able to hopefully speak some hope into someone, you know, give someone a little bit of light and in that pitch blackness when they don't feel like there's any light. Mm. What is it that you wanted to hear that wasn't available, that you didn't have a chance to hear when you were in those spaces or that spot? That there is hope, no matter how dark it is, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what season you're in, it's only temporary. Mm-hmm. It, the pain is only temporary. The pain level or the the hopelessness level might fluctuate and you know wax and wane back and forth and the intensity, mm-hmm. but 
there will be relief at some point. My number one philosophy is learning how to respond instead of react to whatever circumstance you're facing in life and making a choice on how to deal with it going forward, you know, in the best way possible. It's hard. Can be hard. It's extremely hard. Yeah. 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 At least for me, I can only speak for me, but man. Mm. It is extremely hard. I I agree 100%, but it's possible. Right. You're you're not suggesting it's easy. You're just no, saying no, no, it's no. possible, Mm-mm. right? No. And even just because you get to that place where like, you know, you think things are going to be great. You finally made up your mind. You're going to stay on the straight road. You're not going to let depression win. You're not going to let anxiety or PTSD or whatever it is that you're struggling with. You're not going to let that win anymore. But the fact of the matter is stuff resurfaces Mm -hmm. at times that you have no idea that it's even going to resurface. And it takes you straight back down hardcore. But you have the choice at that moment to stop and say, no, I'm not going to immediately react. I'm going to think this out and respond to whatever situation you're in. It's hard, but it becomes, it becomes like a muscle memory. It's a lifestyle change. Really. I've learned because the more you do it, the easier it becomes to learn, to stop and wait and learn to respond instead of react. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So let's go back to wherever the point is that you want to start. And I'm curious, what were you, and I know these are tricky questions, you know, what were you struggling with, if you can find words for it, that led to your first attempt? (sighs) All right. Well, Wusa. Yeah, right. (laughs) I know. I know. And I don't want this to feel like therapy. It's not. I'm just a guy asking questions and I'm curious. No, it's good. And first of all, let me just say, if nobody else has told you that I'm very sorry for your loss. Like I know that you're, you, you lost one of your best friends um, to suicide. And I'm very sorry for that. Thanks. I know that's not fun at all. So it's been a um, while. So, you know, time in some ways does heal. It helps. Um, Not entirely, but it helps. Yeah. It helps Mm -hmm. a little bit. It's been a long time. And um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, there's no other word than tragic. It's awful. Yeah. But thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, Okay. So my life growing up was, one of those lives. <laughs> that was not fun. It was not easy. My whole life, it feels like has constantly been trying to take me off this earth. Starting when I was three years old, I was stabbed in the head by a babysitter and I was tied up, beaten and left for dead. My mother at, did not return. It was on Halloween day or Halloween night. She didn't return for nine hours. So I was laying for nine hours, losing crazy amounts of blood. And I ended up being in the hospital for three weeks after that. And then all throughout my childhood, I mean, that was just one small experience that I have gone through. So throughout my childhood, you know, I experienced a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, a lot of emotional, physical, sexual, you name it, I've been through it. Other situations happened throughout that time frame, even from three until nine. Um, Like when I was eight, someone else went to prison because of things that happened to me um, by him. So there's been a couple of people who have actually gone to jail or had consequences, big consequences for things that that have happened to me. Our personalities are shaped and formed by the time we're eight years old, according to science. Mm. And can really project you on the trajectory of your life. I started watching 
Oprah when I, when I was seven. And I mean, I had already been going through the works. And so I was much more mature and knew a lot more than other kids. But when I was nine years old, the feeling came on that I wanted to die. I had seen a bunch of her shows and, you know, people talking about suicide and ending their life. And so I knew how to do it. I knew methods. I knew that that would mean that I wouldn't have to be in any more pain. I wouldn't have to remember. I wouldn't have to be around people. You know, I wouldn't have to keep experiencing the same abuse over and over again. And so I just wanted to disappear. And so I decided in my nine-year-old mind that I was just going to cut my wrist. And so in my nine-year-old mind, I took a safety pin and I was scratching my wrist very superficially of course. And so that incident when I was nine of wanting to die and starting with the scratching led to a 14 year hard, hardcore self-mutilation addiction. And, you know, I mean, I had no idea what that was. It wasn't popular like it is now. Nobody knew about it. I'm 35. So like my daughter, her age group, like you could walk in the school and have 15 kids in one classroom who are cutting or self-mutilating or whatever. But a lot of times it's wow. a cry for help you yeah. Know, yeah. of something that's happening. Or even if it's not happening in their home, within their peer group or whatever the case, they just need that attention or help yeah. of some sort. But again, mine just came on from wanting to die and the feeling that it gave me in the release and at that point, I made a motto for myself that I lived by for a long time, that nobody could hurt me more than I could hurt myself. And I lived by that. And so every time a memory came up or a flashback came up or something else happened, that's what I did. I would cut mm. over and over. And I mean, I have, I'm covered in scars, actually. Sometimes it would be to the extent of staples or stitches, but I would always come up with some sort of excuse. So that led to the suicide aspect of it. And when situations happened throughout the next couple of years, feeling like nothing would ever get better, there was no relief, feeling doomed, I guess, you know, like, why do I have to go through all of this? Why do I have to experience so much pain? Why can't I be loved? You know, why do I have to keep being everyone's tool or source of, I don't know, like just the abuse that kept coming on to me from other people. I, I didn't understand why, why me yeah. over and over again. So when I was 14, I don't know if I would call this like a suicide attempt. A lot more situations happened. Another really horrible, abusive situation happened that just put me straight back down mm -hmm. at the lowest of the pit. I decided at that time that I was going to play Russian roulette with myself. You know, I only had the one bullet in the pistol and I pulled it four different times. Nothing ever happened. So I was like, wow, first of all, I'm saved. Like, like I was kept alive through the, through the stabbing. I shouldn't have lived in the Russian roulette. Like, wow. So then I was good for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Well, not good. I mean, I still struggled with anxiety and depression off and on and PTSD. I really utilized tools like I played basketball and that was a huge outlet but then I also started using drugs as well at a very early age and drinking when I wasn't playing basketball anything away from my home I was good but when I was home or behind the closed doors because of how bad it was behind the closed doors that's when it would take its effect on me a lot 
the wishing I could just disappear from this earth. And um, sometimes when that motto became unrealistic, like telling myself that I, no one could hurt me more than I could hurt myself because of the pain that kept coming on to me by other people, the severity of my own self-infliction was rapidly increasing and getting worse and worse. Long story short, the 14 was the Russian roulette. In my senior year, people found out about the cutting because of the severity of it. Nobody thought I was going to survive even to graduate high school. And nobody in my family had graduated high school. I ended up graduating. And after graduation, I moved out immediately. I just took a turn down the hill really fast. I was living in a town, just felt completely hopeless. And so I ended up trying again Mm -hmm. to take my life at that point and didn't tell anybody. I was 18 and I had cut literally hundreds of times and I drank, I don't even know how much alcohol I drank, ended up passing out and hoping that I wasn't going to wake up. And I took medication. Mm -hmm. I ended up waking up in the hospital. Somebody found me and took me to the hospital. Um, They ended up pumping my stomach. I was in the hospital for a few days and they sent me to the state ward, I guess, or the state hospital for six days where I had to stay, which is not fun. (laughs) What was that like for you? What were those six days like you remember? I don't remember much. I just knew that I felt like it was completely pointless. I felt like they were just trying to feed me medication to keep me like Mm -hmm. flatlined, basically. That did not help me at all. So that was the biggest attempt, the first biggest attempt. And so anyway, I got my life back on track, started, you know, I was working or whatever. I decided I was like, screw this. I'm going to change my life. No more. I'm not going to let anybody else control me. I'm doing this. So I joined the army, actually. And That was absolutely amazing. Really? And I was a 92 Golf 82nd Airborne, which means that I went to culinary school or I was a cook in the Army. And I was the only female at the time that was accepted into Airborne School as well. And so wow. that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And because, you know, on top of all the crap that I've been through in life, like I've always been like this hardcore, like nobody's going to mess with me. Don't try me. I might be small but don't try me. So anyway, I did that and everything was great. So I did all the training and all of that and got my station. But then like on the weekends, they let you go out and do stuff during training or whatever. Um, And one particular weekend, like I was voted soldier of the cycle. Stuff was sent home to the newspaper about me. Like I was kicking butt. Yeah, Yeah, I was, I was doing great and loved every moment of it. Like I literally loved it. But then a horrible situation happened on a weekend and that situation sent me straight to the ground. Mm. I would black out and I would show up to formation literally like covered in blood because I had been cutting Mm. while I was blacked out and I didn't even know it. And so my uniform would be soaked like it was just it was horrible. Do you know what was going on? The PTSD. Okay. From past stuff, but then also what had happened on that weekend I see. of okay. another attack of yeah. abuse. Yeah. And so that that just sent me spiraling out of control. They worked with me for a long time and tried to help say like, okay, it's going to be fine, you know, and go to counseling and therapy. But the blackouts kept happening. 
I would end up cutting while I was blacked out and had no idea I was even oh. doing it. Mm. And so I ended up getting medically discharged, which I, I, I mean, I understand 100%. After that, I came back to Arkansas and I ended up getting pregnant, actually. And when I got back, I decided like, okay, I'm not going to let this destroy my life. Like, I'm just going to move forward. I'm going to use my GI Bill. And so I decided I would start college. And I started college three weeks after I started college is when I found out I was pregnant. And I was originally going to try to be in, um, I was trying to go for psychology and criminal justice because I wanted to be a detective. <laughs> but when I found out I was pregnant, I switched my course and changed it immediately to education. And so it took me a really long time, but I ended up getting a degree in education and became a teacher. Nice. What grade? Um, I taught sixth grade English. And so I taught for five years. By this time, I had, had a second, my second child and I was married. And it wasn't long after I had my second child. And I don't know if it was, I kind of feel like looking back now and now knowing what I know about postpartum, I kind of felt like it might have been some postpartum stuff. My husband at the time said that he wanted to go to a party and with some of his friends. And I was having a really, really, really bad day, not feeling much connection to my son and just really struggling with both of my kids and just wanting him to be involved. So he said he was going to a party and I said, okay. And I called my parents and I asked them if they would keep my kids. I just needed some time to myself, but I had everything planned and I was like, I'm done, 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 done. My kids left with my parents. He ended up drinking. And so he stayed the night and slept over there. I remember drinking a bottle of vodka, taking all of my medication, like maybe 150 pills worth mm -hmm. and cutting and cutting pretty severely and hoping that I would just be done. I didn't call anybody. I didn't tell anybody. And I just laid down and went to sleep and I thought I would be done. For some reason, <laughs> that didn't happen. And so the next day I woke up, I actually ended up getting arrested. I don't remember any of this, but I ended up getting arrested because I thought I could drive. And Ooh. for some reason I was going to church to a choir thing, <laughs> which I have no idea about. It was, I remember vividly, well, I don't remember, but I know the date was on December 6th. I got arrested because I was passed out at a stoplight. And so mm -hmm. I also didn't have a pulse and they couldn't find my blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Like it was so, so low. The pulse was gone, but my blood pressure was also, also almost gone. From that point, I ended up in ICU for seven days. Again, I have no idea, no memory of it. The only reason I even know about that is because of the police report. <laughs> right. And how, old were, how old were you uh, then? I was 23. Gotcha. I was in ICU and then I didn't have to go to a state hospital, but I did go to a different place only for like four days. But at that point I was like, okay, listen, like I can't do this. It's not that I want to die. I just want the pain to end. Sure. You know, I desperately want the pain to end and the memories to be gone and the flashbacks to stop and all of that. I decided I desperately wanted help. And I went to, I found a rehab specifically for self-mutilation, actually, and those sort of issues down in New Orleans. And I 
went there for six weeks. Overall, it, I mean, it helped. I was doing a lot better, but it didn't, it wasn't like the kicker. It helped give me a few tools, but it was another situation where they tried to do a lot of medication Mm -hmm. and they just want to put a bandaid on the wound and not figure out what keeps making the wound stay open. Right. And that that's the hardest thing, man. Like, I hate that. Like, get to the root cause <laughs> of yeah. whatever your trauma is. So that way you can dig it up and finally get rid of it. After I got out of that rehab situation, I got tattoos that say have faith on my wrist so that every single time I went to like cut myself, I would just tell myself have faith. It's going to mm. get better. Have faith over and over again. My husband at the time decided that he could not handle that I had those issues, even though like on a normal everyday basis, you wouldn't see it. Nobody would know. It was just like that huge trigger on that night, you know, sent me overboard. He wanted a divorce. And he also said that he couldn't be with someone that needed to depend on medication to help them. (laughs) I was just like, wow, for depression or whatever. So anyway, we ended up getting divorced. Over the next few years, I continued, I hadn't finished my education at that point with college. And so I just continued getting my degree. And I had an epiphany one night about my life philosophy that nobody could hurt me more than I could hurt myself. Right, right. And I realized that every single time I cut myself or hurt myself in whatever form it was, the reason I was doing it was still hurting me. And so if it was a flashback or if it was abusive situation or something someone said or whatever the case may be, I took it out on myself. That person was still hurting me Yeah. by whatever it was that caused me to want to do that. And so I was like, I am just continuously letting them hurt me over and over. And every single cut, every single time is allowing them to hurt me. And so I was like, I'm not going to continue to give them that power over me. Mm. And I'm going to take that power back. Did that on your own? You figured that out on your own? I remember very vividly just driving down the road. It was storming outside. I could barely see. Mm. And I was crying. So I pulled my car over and I was just sitting and I was just like praying. Like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live. Please just take me off of like, I was just asking God, like, please just take me off of this earth because I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to ever hurt my children. I don't want to be a mother like I had. Like I felt like I was going to be a failure and I was terrified of that and wanted more for my kids than what I believed I have to offer. But then that epiphany during that time, I was pulled over the on the side of the road when I was looking at my wrist and I was like, they are doing this. They are still hurting me, even though I say no one can hurt me more than I can hurt myself. Yeah, I'm physically doing it, but it's the mental aspect of them still controlling me. And so that was just a crazy epiphany that I had. It is. And that same night, listening to your podcast, I don't think that you're like a believer or have a relationship with God or whatever. I don't, but I I like to hear about your stuff. Yeah. That same night. When I got home, I just, and I, before that, I wasn't like a strong Christian or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't fully decided that I wanted anything to do with God because I was like, if there was a God, he wouldn't let me go through this. If he right. did love me, I wouldn't be experiencing all of this pain or abuse or all of the things that I've been through. Right. And so that night I decided to open a Bible and read 
And when I opened it, it landed on Mark 5, 5. Mm -hmm. And Mark 5, 5 says, day and night, he walked around crying out, asking God for help and cutting himself with stone. Um, And I was like, no, 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 this is not true. That scripture that night and seeing that like that was in the Bible, like there is someone in the freaking Bible that cut themselves literally with stones. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, like really nothing is new under the sun. Everything has been going on. I also read about Jesus being tempted to commit suicide, literally Mm. in Matthew. One of the scriptures says that the devil took him to the mountaintop and told him that he would be better off if he were to just jump off the cliff. And he literally tried to tempt him to jump off and that life would be so much better. And I can't tell you how many times like that's been my situation, like wanting to jump. Those two scriptures in the same night totally wrecked my life for the good and changing my perspective and realizing that, you know, this life is going to suck. It's going to be really hard, but it is going to be possible. Mm. Looking back over my life, all of the things that I've been through, there's a reason I'm still alive. I don't know why. Yeah. Right. First, I thought it was to, you know, be in the military, serve my country. Then I thought it was to teach. And I lo- absolutely love teaching. Like it was my calling, my passion. I was great at it. Yet my body has been shutting down literally over the past couple of years. And so what's going on with that? Do you know? Really? We don't. I mean, it's just been all up in the air, all over the place. For a long time, they were thinking it was MS and lupus or lupus. And I did recently find out that I have some sort of muscle disease. I don't know which muscle disease it is yet. I don't know if you can see this. I just had spinal surgery two weeks ago. So they replaced four discs in my neck with four artificial titanium discs because of how degenerated they've become. Wow. And you're 35. Yeah, bro. (laughs) I'm 35. I'm thinking to myself, Heather, I don't know if this is related to God or faith. Your life was not meant to be easy. Mm -mm. So given what you've shared, and I know that's only a small part of the story, I'm thinking to myself, how is this woman alive? Really? I don't know. Literally, it is because of God. And I feel like there's a reason for it, a bigger reason than than I can even imagine. Even so much as talking with you on this podcast that might go out in the future. Maybe someone needs that hope, but I would have never guessed that I would have talked on a podcast about it or shared any of my pain, you know, mm. so other people could hear about it. Cause I mean, so many times we don't want to share because it is like you feel like shame is put on you or you feel dirty or nasty mm. or the triggers that it brings up. Biggest killer is shame. I think directly, indirectly, however you measure it leads to more pain and ultimately death, I think, than anything else. Right. I agree. It's a fucking killer, man. I recently got over COVID and Mm -hmm. that has really jacked with my cognitive like thinking abilities or finding words. So I apologize. No worries. You're doing stuttering or whatever. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You're doing great. You're sharing. You're honest. It's clear. All good. My, I have a question. So when you, you were taught for several years, then you said five years suggesting you stopped. Was that due to COVID or your physical stuff or other stuff? What happened there? That's my body breaking down and shutting down. And so in 2017, actually, I resigned from teaching. 
for instance, my classroom was on the second floor and a lot of days I couldn't walk up my stairs. I never know what's going to happen on a day or how my body is going to feel or what I'm going to be able to do or not do. Like mm-hmm. some days I could be driving and my foot doesn't want to push the gas pedal. It was always fluctuating. And again, just I've been through the ringer with specialists and different studies and tests and all kinds of crap. Do people believe you when you say I've got this thing? I don't know. I don't know what the name of it is. Yeah. Do people doubt that? Originally they did, but I was approved and I was approved for a hundred percent fully disabled with social good. security. <clears throat> Not good that you're disabled, but good that you're getting support you need. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I did, I did feel like a crazy person, like an absolutely insane crazy person because I am only 35. I did play basketball. I was in great shape. I was in the military, you know, out doing most of the dudes. And so at first it was really hard for people to like accept it or believe it or whatever. But after the specialist and like, I have a heart thing in my chest, like they implanted and just all the different things that have happened. And the biggest thing that helped was that I was approved for disability because at 35, that was not easy, I promise you. It's fascinating <laughs> to me that like, if you get approved for disability, people will believe you. If you don't, because let's say some random bureaucrat decides no, people won't believe you. When I was in my early 30s, I started getting sick. Nobody knew what it was. I did probably <laughs> what everyone would do. I, you know, you go to specialists, mainstream doctors, alternative doctors. I, to this day, they don't know what it was or what it is. I still get it. It comes and goes, right? Like you were saying about your stuff. And it's really interesting to me. It was really eye-opening and somewhat enlightening to see how few people really believe me. And it's a very hard thing when you don't know, because what you said really rung true for me. I'm not comparing at all. Just it's really hard when you don't know how you're going to feel the next day. I mean, it's horrible, especially as a parent too. And especially whenever, like for me, I felt like my entire identity was stolen. My entire life purpose was taken. I survived all of the crap that I had been through in life somehow in some way. Right. And so I was like, okay, this is great. I was the first to graduate college in my family. Nobody else had ever gone. And then I, it took me eight years to get my actual degree in college. Then I immediately was hired. Everything was great. Everything was great. And then my body takes that from me. So I'm like, what the crap? Why did I just spend all of this time to get a degree in something that I'm physically not even able to do anymore? It felt very purposeless. Even still, since 2017, I mean, listen, if I could just share with you, I'm not going to because that's way too much. Share whatever you want. Starting in 2015 was the last, not really attempt, but the last suicidal ideation, horrible, that put me in the hospital. And that was in 2015. And I had a bunch of family stuff happening. And it was a time frame where I finally had to cut all ties with my mother. It doesn't matter if they're family or not. Sometimes you just have to cut those ties because it's what's healthiest for you and your children. The stress levels were just insane. My body breaking down and financial issues like just piling up. It was all just so much feeling like my life was being taken from me again, from my body shutting down and not being able to do the things I used to. And so I decided that I was going to end my life. Like this was going to be it. Final, hardcore. I was going to make sure it happened. (laughs) And my kids were with 
their dad. And I made a plan. I had everything written out. I had everything prepared. Was getting ready to do it and decided that I wasn't going to give that power or control again. Also, with all this stuff that was going on with me medically, it had been years since I cut. It had been years since anything like that had happened. And so all the stuff that had been going on medically, I was like, listen, I'm just going to go check myself into the hospital before I make this final decision to see if there's something like happening with my brain. Like, what if it is MS? Is it like, is something happening where I can't control this feeling that's taking over my body right now of like desperately wanting to end it? Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up having someone come and take me to the mm-hmm. hospital instead of moving forward with that choice at all. That was like, wow. <laughs> I ended up staying in the hospital. They, you know, admitted me or whatever. And that was actually the beginning of research into what was happening with my body, just a little bit of like mm-hmm. why it was, you know, my muscles were happening or sleep issues. And so over the next couple of years, I would continue going through research, I guess, like a guinea pig. Oh, the body shutting down just rapidly it was rapidly increasing. I made a decision after checking myself into the hospital. Like when I was in there, I was thinking like, you know, for some reason I have survived an insane, insane amount of stuff that there's no reason, no human reason that I should have lived through. Like, beginning at three years old. There's no, there's zero reason I should have lived through that situation. And some of the attempts in an ICU and that, like the suicide attempts, I should not have lived through realizing like, I don't know why I can't die. (laughs) Like I did, I was like, why can't I just die? Like what is happening? They don't make, they don't make it easy. Given the situations. And again, all that should have killed me, why it didn't kill me. So I was like, you know what? Like I've lived through this. I've continued to stay alive for some reason. Mm-hmm. There has to be a plan. I don't know what it is. It's obviously not the plan that I have for myself mm-hmm. being a teacher or whatever. And so right mm-hmm. now it's just a day-to-day situation, even still like not knowing what tomorrow is going to be, not knowing if I'm going to be able to walk tomorrow or the pain that is excruciating that never goes away. Have you ever had like a toothache or an abscess tooth? I have. I've actually had, I just happen to have really shitty teeth, but I don't know what it's like to have. I cannot know what that is like because being in pain is not the same as every day. Knowing you're waking up in pain to me, I don't have that. Thank, thank whatever. Yeah. No. That's that's awesome. Well, the chronic pain, you know, and again, never knowing how intense it's going to be or the cause of it or how to relieve it or any of that, that and inability to work with the financial stress. I have zero family because, you know, in 2015, I said enough is enough. I'm not going to allow this anymore. But that has ultimately left me with zero family. I'm not married. I've never remarried since 2009. I've only been married once. It makes it hard. I'm living here in my little home in North Carolina, solo, minimal support. And that's okay. I can get by, but I know for me, if a couple of bad things happen, I'm fucked. The net, the safety net is sort of thin. Right. So I'm okay. But if X and Y happen, so I don't know what your life is like, but you've shared a lot, which I appreciate. But yeah, I mean, when you don't have family and you don't have a lot of money and you have some health stuff, it's dangerous, man. Well, and again, you just question like, what is my purpose? 
why do I have to stay alive right now when I literally do not have purpose? I wake up, my purpose right now, I guess, is to take my daughter to school or to support her in, uh, or my kid, my son too, to her athletics or whatever and attempt to be the type of mom to her that I never, ever had and I've always desperately wanted. Yeah. But other than that, like, like I'm not living, I'm simply existing. So many times I've questioned over, even just in the last year, like, I feel like I'm just a wasting oxygen, basically, that someone else could use because I physically can't do anything, do anything good for anybody or contribute to the world. Not being able to work, like I've worked since I was 13 years old. And so not being able to work or do things that I used to destroys me. I've always been able to financially support myself. And so using like, or having to be on disability at this point is absolutely devastating. And right now, at this point, each month I decide which bill I'm going to pay and hope that the other thing doesn't get shut off because of the disability situation and the financial situation in that aspect. And so with COVID and financial issues, but you know, again, I had to make a choice and I hope everyone else realizes that they can make a choice too, that you are in control of your actions and how you respond to whatever you're in. You get to make that choice up of how you're going to allow it to affect your life. Learning and again, making it a lifestyle of learning how to respond instead of react out of, you know, the immediate emotion that you're feeling of whatever it is that you're going through. And again, it sucks and it's hard, but there's got to be a reason. The tricky part is that if somebody's hearing this, that is feeling the way you were feeling several years ago, those words might make sense to them, but they're probably not putting that into practice. They don't want to, they can't, they don't have the resource, whatever it is, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can hear it and be like, Oh yeah, totally. But yeah, it's tough. In that situation with someone else in that, um, if someone else is in that position, remembering that feelings are not fact feelings are only indicators of what you are. Feelings are indicators. They should not be dictators like that. They should not determine your feelings and the emotions. Yes, it is how you feel. And that's okay. And you're welcome. You're able, you're allowed to feel that way, but you don't have to respond Mm -hmm. or react negatively based on that feeling. Wait it out. I've learned a lot of coping skills over the last couple of years in trying to keep myself afloat, especially during those times when I felt like I was just like wasting oxygen that someone else could be using and, you know, giving purpose to someone, you know, going and trying to take a bath or going and fishing or like, I love to fish or go sit outside. Even if you just do something to change your state of mind for even 10 minutes take mm-hmm. 10 minutes to say, okay, yep. let's, yeah. Or five minutes. If you, if you only have five minutes or two minutes, whatever it is, take that moment to go and ch- redirect your thoughts because you have that control. You have that power. Your thoughts do not control you. You control your thoughts. Yeah. Sometimes like a, like for me with PTSD, I can smell something or hear something or see something and it automatically will create that memory and put me back into that spot. Mm -hmm. That is horrible at times, but I've really learned 
not to let it completely take over my life and make me black out or whatever the case may be. And so trying to rein it back in real quick, you know, and whatever it may be like, no, I'm not going to feel this way. And making a choice to say, no, I'm not going to lay in this bed. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something. Mm -hmm. You want to hear something really interesting? Yeah. The last two months I've really been struggling and like, okay, why do I have to keep staying? Just trying to figure out how to get myself motivated to get dressed or to make myself not look like a walking corpse, basically. So I saw all the virtual audiences on TV, right? And I was like, how is this happening? So I researched it and I was like, God, like, listen, I need a reason to get up and get dressed and make myself look presentable because it really can help you change your outlook and your attitude for the day. I decided I would just like apply to be in the virtual audiences of like Ellen or Dr. Phil or Kelly Clarkson show, those sort of things. And I've now been on quite a few. And so that's like an awesome DBT skill that you can say, look, do something purposeful. Even if you don't want to get up, do it anyway, get dressed, fix your hair, wash your face or whatever the case may be. Change that moment for a time anyway. Absolutely. If you've heard this podcast, you've heard me say before, like this project for me is just as much for me and about me as it is for people I talk to and those people that hear it. And I think that's okay. I think it is too. It's yeah, a, it's it's a coping skill. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Well, thank you for sharing all that. I have a question for you that you might not, well, you seem pretty okay with any question I've asked so far. Do you think you're going to try again? No, no, I don't. You know, I mean, that situation in 2015 was really, 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 really intense. And I, um, again, I had everything squared away and I was good to go. Had my kids squared away, the will squared, like everything. And then even at that point, making that choice not to do it and first go try to get some help to see if there was something more to it than just my own thoughts. But, you know, at this point, again, I can honestly say, I well, listen, you never know what could happen. It could be an automatic flip of a switch or something. But I would hope that at this point, I have learned enough skills and enough, I have enough tools in my tool belt to pause and think for a second and remember that I have survived through insane amount of things that I shouldn't have lived through. And so I'm here for a reason. And even though I don't know what that reason is at this Mm -hmm. point, I have to continue to trust God that he has a purpose and a reason for my life. Even if it's even at this point, if someone hears my voice and saying that you have a reason to stay alive and it helps one person make that choice or to go fishing instead of continuing to let that situation control them. then maybe that was my reason. I don't know. Yeah. You have two kids, right? Mm hmm. They're 15 and 13. Do they know about this? Any of this? Actually, until 2015, whenever I made, whenever I went into the hospital and that situation happened, I actually had them stay with my ex for or their dad for quite a while. And I was in the hospital for quite a while. That's when they initially found out very, very minutely, Mm -hmm. um, very surface level. And then it was really kind of hush-hush. It wasn't really discussed or anything like that. They just knew I was sick and really needed a lot of help. One thing that my son said to me, I'm not even going to get into that situation, but the situation with their father and the parental alienation and all of that is horrible. But he Mm -hmm. told 
my kids that I like to cut myself and that I wanted to kill myself when I was in the hospital at the time they were eight and 10. Mm. And so that was a horrible situation. But either way, afterwards, he said, why am I not enough? And I said, what do you mean? He said, why am I not enough for you to want to live? Don't you love me? And that really hit me hard. You know, one of the questions you ask on your podcast is what are some of the myths that you want to dispel or to ask you that question? Good segue. So the the myth is that people who commit suicide are selfish. And Mm -hmm. that is not true because in my mind, it's selfless because I wanted better for my children. Mm -hmm. I was only going to hurt them. I was only going to like, not physically, obviously. I was only going to cause them pain. I was going to end up uh, being just like my mother was or traumatizing them the rest of their life because I am not good enough or whatever the case may be. Like all of those thoughts constantly went through my mind. And Mm -hmm. the suicide, again, in my mind was because I was such a burden on them. With my body shutting down, not being able to live the life that I want to live, not being able to do the things that I thought I was going to do or what I thought my purpose was and feeling like I was only going to be a burden to them with no family. Like I don't have any family to back me up. I can't work like all of these things. It would be better for them if they didn't have this burden to carry around with them, you know, and I still struggle with that to this day because I'm not able to be the mom that I had anticipated and originally was trying to be in breaking the cycle. And making the choice not to let my past define my future. But again, like I just have to remind myself over and over again that there is a reason that God has kept me alive this long. I don't know what it is right now, but I am going to choose to trust him even when I don't want to, even when it seems impossible, and even when I doubt. You know, one of the things that people say is that he works all things together for your good. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. But, you know, in the end run, I mean, in the long run, even though we can't see the full picture, he do, he is working all things together behind the scenes. For instance, this you know I just recently had COVID, mm-hmm. and I was really really sick, and it sucked. I'm still not over all of it, but that was in October. I actually reached out to you before right. I got COVID, and then right. my daughter ended up getting it, mm. and so the recovery has been horrible. But I was like, what? But then I just had surgery also, and I was like, listen. If I had gotten COVID while I was in the hospital, because I have autoimmune issues, it would have been bound to happen for me to get it while I was in the hospital with surgery. God went ahead and let that happen because it was bound to happen anyway. Now I don't have to worry about getting it for four months at least. My neck having the cough and the chest issues and, you know, all of that stuff would have been 400 times worse if I did it with my neck surgery. Not to mention that it probably would have been way more severe had I done it while my spine was good open. I keep trying to find all the flipping a horrible situation and trying to look for ways for it to make sense or how it's working out for my favor. That's what faith is, isn't it? Faith is a belief without proof. Right. Believing in those things that you can't see. Yeah. How many people know about the Heather story? Um, There's quite a few people who know what's up, but not in elaborate detail. Mm -hmm. But they know about the suicide attempt. They know about the cutting issues. I haven't sat down and talked with someone like this directly and just laid it all out. This isn't even all of it. But I have shared with certain people or people, groups of people sometimes, whenever it, like I felt like it was 
necessary. Like I have intuition or like a ability to discern stuff about people in a way, in a weird way. It's kind of hard to explain. But if I can sense that you struggle with something as well and feeling like sharing something about me Mm -hmm. would help your situation and how I got through it, then I will. So yeah, Yeah. I mean, there's quite a few people that know. You don't have to do or say anything. Sometimes all you have to do is be. Mm-hmm. Be present. Send them a text and say, hey, I hope you have a great day. Offer an ear to listen. If you say, hey, you know, I'm here to listen to you and let them talk. Mm-hmm. But before you begin that conversation, ask them, hey, is this something that you're going to want me to help you like find a solution to? Or do you just want me to listen? Mm-hmm. And that is huge because sometimes They don't want your input back. We don't want your input back. We just want you to hear us. Or we want to know that our feelings are valid Mm -hmm. and that our pain is real. Mm -hmm. Whether it's emotional or physical or spiritual or mental or whatever it is, you need to for someone to come along and say, I get it. Like, or I don't get it. They don't have to get it. Just listen and just be there and never accuse anyone of being selfish or attention seeking. If they're if they're going through some sort of suicidal ideation or self-harm or drug abuse or whatever addiction you might have, whatever your coping skill is, usually a cry for help. Be yeah. there. A lot of times you can ask, like, how could I show you that I care? So for instance, with my daughter, a lot of times, I know this is weird, but not having like a good mom, I don't really know how to be a good mom. You know what I mean? And so I have to learn how to love her because she loves differently than me. If she doesn't feel like I am understanding what she is wanting me to hear, I'll, she, she gets mad at a situation. I'll say, what would have been better for me to have said right then that would have helped you see that I care about what you're going through? Mm. Just be deliberate, I think. Be very deliberate. I think being deliberate in your actions and mm. making a choice to be there. Don't give someone empty words. Don't say I'm here for you if they call you and need to talk to you, but you're too busy. Don't give someone empty words or empty promises or tell them something just because it makes you feel better. Mm. Don't do that. Be real with them and let them be real with you. And don't place judgment on whatever they're feeling, whatever they're saying, however they're saying it or whatever they're doing to cope at that moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I do. I do. I believe I do. I don't know how others are. It seems like some of those things are really hard for people. It doesn't come natural. And again, it becomes a lifestyle. Like you have to make a deliberate action. Like when I was first becoming a mother and the abuse that I experienced growing up or the way that my parent, she handled my situations with the screaming or yelling or hitting. Like when I went to raise my voice, Mm -hmm. I would have to say, whoa, stop. You don't want to be her. And so I'd have to like, regroup and come back in like 30 minutes that's how i learned to respond over react and not react out of the anger but it's a deliberate lifelong choice that you have to make and just because you fail or if you have a slip up or whatever the case may be it doesn't mean you have to start back over from square one like you just keep going where you are don't let it dictate the rest of your life over your one slip up or whatever I'm going to leave the last thoughts open to whatever else you might want to share. But the only other question I have is what brings you, if anything, I don't want to be presumptuous, joy. Recently, I've been, again, 
very deliberate in trying to find joy in the smallest thing. So I find a lot of joy in the sunsets or the sunset or the sunrises, you know, just looking at how beautiful it is and the artistry that goes behind that. Or my dog is a huge and throwing her the ball, just little things like that. What kind of dog? A black lab. Oh, nice. I also like playing video games or basketball or, you know, outdoorsy stuff whenever I can. But like my son like loves to play video games. And so I find even though I'm not born to be a gamer per se, but right. making that choice to get engaged with him and play a game with him, like that brings me joy, even though you wouldn't think that it would. I just want everyone to know that even when you feel like there is no hope or your life is over or you don't have purpose or it's never going to get better. Mm-hmm. You get to make the choice of how you allow whatever situation you're going through affect you. Mm-hmm. And I am going to ask you to make a choice to live. And it's the hardest choice that you will ever have to make. But at some point, I believe it will be worth it. Take five minutes in that frame of mind that you might be in whenever you are contemplating suicide or you're trying to go that route, take five minutes and take a break to regroup and collect your thoughts. Go write it down, go jog, go fish, go whatever, just for five minutes and see if that'll change your thought pattern for that day. It'll save you another day at least. Totally. Usually. I appreciate you not only sharing, but listening to the podcast as well. So thank you for that. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, letting me share. This is the first time I've ever shared like this. And, you know, again, I feel like maybe the reason I am still alive is to share with other people. And so that's why I took this step to start here and try to share with you to see if this is the route I want to go. Maybe to see if it could possibly help anybody, anything. I don't know. I don't know if what anything I have to say is even worth anything to someone, but They'll listen. I know for sure people hear it and it helps them as long as you can do it. I'm stating the obvious, I guess, but sometimes people need to hear it. So I'm just making sure you hear that, you know? Well, and it's just so hard to get that initial like courage to do it. But then also like, again, my questioning of, is it even going to be worth it? We shall see. We shall see. Again, I appreciate your time and what you're doing for people and uh, keep it up. Thanks, Heather. I'll follow up with you and um, stay strong. Do the best. All right. You too. All right. Have a good day. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Heather in Arkansas. We release new episodes every Monday. You can follow us on social media at Suicide Noted. And if you'd like to share your story or if you have a question or an idea or thought you want to share, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.